Turn, if you would, tonight to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for the fact that you can do whatever you desire to do and you can accomplish whatever you desire to accomplish. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies of the ladies that we've heard tonight. Lord, just the fact that you spoke to their hearts, and I know that you spoke to the hearts of other ladies as well. And God, I'm thankful for the fact that you do still speak and that you do still convict, you do still encourage. And God, I pray that tonight you would do that for us. I pray that you'd use your word to speak to our hearts and that you'd help us, God, to be encouraged by the truth that is before us this evening. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I want to begin by asking just a very simple question. I would assume that I know the answer for most, but maybe not for everyone. The question would be this. How many of us have ever looked at our lives and seen limitations? We've looked at our lives and we have seen limitations. And what I mean by that is this. We've looked at ourselves, we've looked at who we are as individuals, and we have come to this conclusion. I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. Sometimes we would say it like this, I'm not smart enough. Well, I'm not good enough. I just don't have what it takes to do that. I think most of us, to some extent, we have insecurities that cause us to believe that there are certain things we cannot do, that we have limitations, that we have only so much potential to do certain things, and past that, that's just out of our realm of possibility. Someone else will have to do that. Here's what we know. First of all, that that's really not a good position to get in mentally. You understand that, right? It's not good to let your insecurities keep you from doing certain things, from accomplishing certain things, to pursuing certain goals. And yet at the same time, here's what we also know, sometimes we have to face reality. That there are certain things we cannot do. I think every one of us would admit there are certain physical accomplishments that are just past our abilities because of where we're at in life. I will never at this stage of life be able to go back and do what I was able to do at age 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Just too much time has passed and too many things have have happened with the aging process, not just with myself, but with you as well. And so there are just certain times where you have to face reality and say, okay, that's just not an option. That's just not a possibility. But again, more times than not, the biggest thing standing in our way by way of accomplishing something is just believing that we have the ability to do it if God should help us do it. So that in mind, let me ask you this. I've probably asked this question before, and I don't mean for this to come out uh, wrong. I don't mean for it to come out in a way that would seem rude or offensive. But I would like to ask you this because of where the message is headed. 
How many of you have ever wanted to do something, but you had in your mind this hint of doubt? You didn't really believe or you didn't really know with confidence that you could do something? And yet you looked at someone doing the very same thing that you were wanting to do? And so you said something like this, Well, goodness, if they can do it, I can do it. Have you ever been there? I'm not trying to be rude. Again, I'm not trying to be offensive. But I know for myself, there have been several, several moments where I've wanted to accomplish something. I've wanted to tackle something. But in the back of my mind, there were these questions of doubts and there were these, there were these issues of doubt. And there were you know, these questions of, do I really know what I'm doing? Am I really capable of doing it? And then it's like, well, man, if they can do it, well, I'm as smart as they are. Well, I'm as capable as they are. I've got enough sense. Of, you know, if, if they can figure it out, I can figure it out. And, and again, that may not always be the best motivation, but I know for myself at least, it's been enough motivation to get me to start a task, and it's been enough motivation to get me to finish a task. You ever been there? All right. Hopefully you'll understand why I've said that in a couple of moments. But tonight we're in Joshua chapter 2. We'll get to Hebrews chapter 11 here in a little bit. But here's what you know if you understand the, the flow of Scripture, if you understand the context of Joshua chapter 2. You understand that Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel. Moses has died. Aaron has died. All those over the age of 20 who had originally doubted the power of God there in the wilderness, they have died. And so now outside of Joshua and Caleb, there's not a person in the host of Israel who is over the age of 60. And they are soon going to be taking over the land that God has given them. It's going to be a long process. We know that. We understand that. But we know the very first city that will be taken will be the city of Jericho. And here's what we also know and understand, that you cannot really hide and you cannot really conceal an approximate two million people. It doesn't matter how discreet you are. It doesn't matter how stealth you are in your approach and how secretive you try to be in your, in your hiding places. When you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of two million people, other cities are going to notice, I think I see someone out there. The ground is constantly moving. The trees are constantly walking. That's what it would have looked like, okay? And so the text tonight lets us know that the children or the people of Jericho were very much aware of the presence of Israel just outside of their city, just outside of their border. And so right before the children of Israel are going to march around the city on those seven days and eventually shout and watch God do the miracle that we talked about last week, in chapter 2 of Joshua, we learn that Joshua himself decides to send in a couple of spies into the land of Jericho. What they're supposed to find out, what they're supposed to bring back by way of information really isn't given. But in verse number 1, it says this. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho, and they went and came into an, uh, into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. All right, so in verse number one, who are we introduced to? We are introduced to a lady by the name of Rahab. Now, again, here's what we know if we know much about the scripture here, if we know much about the context, and that is this, is we don't know a whole lot about Rahab. 
We don't know how old she is at this stage of life. We don't know what all she's experienced up to this point in life. Here is what we do know, though, is that she is a homeowner, and she is a homeowner on the wall of the city. Now, that may not seem like much to you and I because of our culture and because of our day and, and how so many things have, what we're told, progressed. But in their day, here is what would usually be true, is that it was a pretty male-run, male-dominant society and culture. You understand that, right? So ladies weren't really known for their careers and their professions in that day. They weren't really known to be single and living the good life on their own. And so it's kind of interesting that, that Rahab, at this stage of life, again, wherever she is at by way of stage of life, she's a homeowner. She's living by herself because, again, the context lets us know that her family lived in the city but in different homes in different locations. And so one may ask themselves, if they didn't know the story, well, I wonder how this lady could afford to live alone, have her own place, and be successful. Because, I mean, after all, she's a successful homeowner, right? And she's a single lady, and she's got this world by the tail, and she doesn't need any men controlling her life. How did she do this? Well, we know what her profession is, right? We know what her occupation is. It says she's a harlot. Well, what is a harlot? It was a prostitute. How did she make her money? How did she earn her living? How did she support her lifestyle? By being a prostitute. I don't have to spend a long time on this, do I, explaining to us what a prostitute is? I mean, it's simply a person who sells their bodies for the sexual desires and pleasures of someone else. And so here is Rahab. The scripture simply calls it a har calls her a harlot, which lets us know this is not exactly a reputable woman. I mean, in any culture, in any day, in any society, here is what any honest, decent person would say, that there's not a real uh, view of, of, I don't know, of respect for people in that kind of work. It, it's not as though anyone ever really looks at that line of work and says, well, you know, if it doesn't work out over here, I think I'll go into that. Or, or you know, I, I've always thought if my daughter wasn't able to do this, maybe she could do this. No decent parent and no decent person would ever pursue such a profession. And so here is Rahab, and she is supporting herself, and she is able to sustain herself by living this very immoral, ungodly wicked, dishonorable way of life. So as the spies come in, I don't know about you, but I find it odd that through the sovereign leading of God, the two spies are at the house of a harlot. Can we think about that for just a moment? Can you imagine if myself and another man were on a road trip? And we got back and they said, so where'd you stay? There's a harlot in town. She had a nice room. And that's where we hung out. Immediately the little flags would go up, would they not? And rightfully so. I don't understand. I don't know exactly other than just God's sovereignty in all this, but... Through the leading of God, the two spies make their way to Rahab's house, the harlot who is used to seeing many men come in and leave, 
And so it says in verse number 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So no matter how discreet these spies tried to be, their presence was made known. Somebody picked up on it, got the news back to the king, and said there are some men who have come in tonight from the children of Israel. They are going to search out the country. And so in verse number 3 it says, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. Okay? Apparently everybody knew who Rahab was and what her line of work was. So notice what it says in verse number 7. I'm sorry, verse number 4. Verse number 4. It says, And the woman took the two men and hid them, so she knew what was going to happen, what was going to take place. Most of us are familiar with this. But in response to the messengers who came from the king, here is what she said. She said, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. Well, coming from a harlot, that's fairly believable, right? Are we awake tonight? That's a believable statement from a harlot, correct? Because men would pass through this house on a regular basis and, and she's not really worried where they've come from or where they're going or what their intentions are. She only needs to, you know, to do certain things and that's the only interest she has in their presence. All right, and so the men come to her and they say, okay, where are the men? What's going on here? And she says, well, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. So in verse number 7, based upon her recommendation, it says, and the men, that being the king's men, pursued them the way to Jordan unto the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gates. So here's what's going to happen. The men of the king were going to pursue these men of Israel based on the lie and the wrong information that Rahab gave them. Now somebody may say, well, Rahab shouldn't lie. Remember who we're talking about right now. We're talking about a harlot, so a lie is really not a big deal to her. Okay? So she has given the men who are from the king's palace, she has given them bad information, sent them out. So in verse number 9 it says... She's now visiting with the men of Israel, the two spies. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. What did Rahab just declare in verse number 9? She just declared this. She said, listen, we know what's happening. We know what's going on. And our nation is terrified of your nation. Our people are terrified of your people. We know that you're going to receive this land. So in verse number 12, here is what she does. She strikes a deal with the spies from Israel. She said, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. So what is she saying? She's saying this. Hey, listen, I was good to you. How about you be good to me? I protected you. How about you protect me? I saved you. How about you all save me and my family? And that is an agreement that the spies and Rahab come to. There are some details that are given, some things that must be done, some things that must be uh, solidified by way of what they're responsible for and what she is responsible for. But at the end of this conversation, at the end of this transaction, here 
here is what they conclude. Because you've been good to us, we will be good to you. Now, if we did not have the rest of the story given to us, here is what would happen for many of us. We would assume that the spies in Israel did what they said they were going to do and that Rahab continued in her way of life doing whatever it is she did. We wouldn't have given a lot of thought to it. We wouldn't have given much attention to it. I think if most of us were honest, here's what we would say. We didn't really expect to read about her in other portions of Scripture. Would you agree with me? I mean, if you think about this lady who is single, who has this way of life, this profession, this means of providing for herself, I think most of us would have looked at Rahab and we would have said something like this. She was very fortunate that the spies were willing to work a deal with her and her family, and we would just assume that she would kind of live her life and live her days and one day pass into eternity But that be the end of it. And yet here is what many of us know is that her name pops up in Scripture again. And I don't know about for you, but for me, it's in the oddest of places where her name pops up. It's like your name doesn't really belong in this conversation. Well, what do I mean? Well, notice in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, hundreds and hundreds of years after Joshua chapter 2. See there in Matthew chapter 1, it says in verse number 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. So what does that let us know? It lets us know this. We're dealing with the lineage of Christ. Right? We're dealing with the lineage of Christ here. And so it says, Abraham beget Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas and his brethren. And, and let me just throw this in real quick. All these people who say, I just get so confused with all those begets. Really? This is not that complicated. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named uh, Judas and his brethren. And Judas beget Perez and Sarah of Tamar. And the list goes on, okay? So, so this isn't really rocket science to understand this. Here's what happened. People got married, had babies, and then those people got married, had babies. And, and it's like how it works. Okay. Because I don't want you to be like, oh, I can't understand all those begats. It's really not that complicated. So see, in, in verse number 5 it says, And Salmon begat Boaz. Does Boaz ring a bell? Well, he married Ruth. And Boaz of, begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and the... David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And so we understand all this. So this is part of the lineage of David and, of course, the lineage of Christ. And it says, and Salmon begat Boaz of who? I guess that's old Rachab. Because that's what it looks like in most Bibles, right? We don't know who Rachab is. Well, actually, we do know who Rachab is. That would actually be Rahab. Well, who is Rahab? It's the harlot. Think about this. Whenever the children of Israel defeated 
the nation of Jericho, somehow, we don't know how it all worked out, we don't know how God produced all this, but Rahab the harlot caught the eye and the heart of this man by the name of Salmon or Salmon. And as a result of that, the lineage of David and the lineage of Christ was continued. Here is Rahab the harlot and the lineage of Christ. I just want to ask you a very simple question. You just be as honest as you can be. Whenever you're reading about Rahab the harlot in Joshua chapter 2, are you sitting there, if you don't know the rest of your story, saying, I just bet, I just bet she ends up in the lineage of Christ. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm just telling you, that's not what I'm thinking. Turn over to James chapter 2 real quick. James chapter 2. James is a book that a lot of people have a lot of respect for. It's an amazing book, is it not? It is. It's an amazing book. So here's James chapter 2, and he's trying to make a point. He is trying to, to drive home a point to, to fellow Jews, okay? And, and he says in verse number 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works... A man is justified or declared righteous, okay? And so what James is saying is this. A person is declared righteous or a person, their, their righteousness is made known by their works. He's not suggesting that works is what justifies a person. But what he is saying is this, is that when a person has been justified, it will be manifested and it will be obvious and it will be declared in their works. And so right there he uses Abraham as an example of one who was justified by the works. And then notice who he points to next. Likewise also was not Rahab, who? The harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Now, I, I just want us to see this. Here is James, a highly respected man of God, one who wrote a, a book that we have great respect for. And here is what he is saying. He is saying that just as Abraham was justified or declared righteous because of her works, his works. So Rahab was justified or declared righteous by her works. People knew that she had been justified, that she had been, she had been made right with God, and it was obvious with her actions. Now again, I, I'm just telling you, if I'm James... I'm using someone else as an example. Because I've got a lot of people available to me to use as an example. Y'all are looking at me like this is making no sense. Is, is it making sense? 
Okay, I mean, of all the people that James could have pulled out of the air and said this is who was an example of being justified by their works, the Holy Spirit could have had him put anyone's name there, and they jumped from Abraham, or he rather jumped from Abraham to Rahab. That does not make sense to me, but that is what the Scripture declares. So we go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been looking at the faith of individuals, correct? We have. (laughs) We've looked at the faith of Abel. We've looked at the faith of Enoch. Who walked with God? I mean, he literally walked with God and was not. He just, one day, he's gone into glory, into eternity with God. Pretty amazing. We've looked at the faith of Noah, we've looked at the faith of Abraham, we've looked at the faith of Sarah, we've looked at the faith of Isaac, we've looked at the faith of Jacob, we have looked at the faith of Joseph, we have looked at the faith of Moses, we have looked at the faith of the children of Israel as a whole. All right, and we're cruising and we're doing pretty good looking at all these wonderful examples of faith. And in verse number 31, who do we find? I know you know this, but let's act like uh, this is new to us for just a moment, okay? By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace or kindness. You know what the writer of Hebrews says? You know, everyone who did not believe, they perished in Jericho. Everyone died. Everyone was destroyed except for Rahab and whoever may have been in her house at the time of the destruction. But it says that Rahab, because of her faith, did not perish with them that believed not. And she was justified or she was declared righteous. Her faith or her belief in who God was, it was declared and it was made known in her actions toward the spies that came into the city and lodged in her house that night. Now, here is what I don't know, and here is what you don't know, and so we can't argue about this. All we can do is speculate. I don't know exactly when Rahab placed her faith in God. I don't know that exact moment. I don't know when the transaction took place. But here is what we see from Joshua chapter 2, that whenever Rahab is mentioned, she is mentioned as a completely different lady who became a person, an individual of great faith. Now, in my flesh, I don't have a hard time accepting Abraham was a great person of faith. In my flesh, I don't have a hard time accepting that Enoch was a great person of faith. Sarah, the same thing. But if you're honest, and if we weren't in a church setting, do you you think it might be hard and maybe a little bit difficult for us to accept that that old harlot who's known who knows how many different men, wouldn't it be kind of hard for us to accept that she became this great individual and testimony of faith, one that is right up there in the same ranks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah? In our minds, wouldn't we wrestle with that just a little bit? My mind wrestles with that. 
And yet here is what Rahab's life shows us and here is what Rahab's life reminds us of is that it doesn't matter what the past looks like. It doesn't matter what the sins are. It doesn't matter what the transgressions are. It doesn't matter what the previous life looked like. None of that matters as a result of her faith, as a result of her trust and belief in who God said he was. She became a woman of faith. That is a wonderful story, a wonderful testimony about what we talked about this morning, the amazing grace of God, that here is Rahab, who is identified repeatedly throughout the Scripture as a harlot, as a prostitute, as one who sold herself. She was the very individual who became in the same ranks of faith as Abraham and all the others that we look up to with a measure of respect. Why do I need to consider this passage? Why do I need to give attention to this? For this reason. Twofold. We'll get through them quickly, I promise. Here's the first reason I need to be reminded of this passage. I am sometimes guilty of stereotyping. Have you ever done that? I'm guilty of stereotyping. And so I look at certain people and and I say things like this in my mind. I don't say it out loud, but I say it in my mind. Well, that person's got potential. Now, there's a person with potential right there. And whenever I'm honest, I also have to say this, that there are times that in my mind where I'm stereotyping people, there are times and there are occasions where I just write people off is not having a lot of potential. I'm wrong when I do that. I'm wrong when I do that. And guess what? You're wrong when you do that. Because here is what none of us know. None of us know what God can do in this person's life with when or if this person allows God to do this work in their lives. See, this message was fresh on my mind, and last night, whenever Susie had gotten home from the ladies' retreat, I wanted to spend some time with, with her, just me and her, just talking. And, and so I took her to the plaza because I was glad to have her home, so I was ready to spend the money, okay? We could have gone to United and saved a lot of money, but I was glad to have her home. I let her pick, and she said United. I said, baby, we're there. We're going to United. Now, I didn't put all the pieces together, okay? I didn't put all the pieces together until later, and I was a little slow on this, and it kind of started clicking with me at, at supper time. But, but we were sitting there, and where they sat us was right by the window where everybody comes in. And all of a sudden, I looked up from my chips, okay? I was pretty engrossed in my chips. All of a sudden, I looked up, and I looked out the window, and there were these young ladies dressed in clothes that would have been appropriate for Rahab's previous lifestyle. I mean, I'm talking like, whoa, go back to the chips kind of an outfit. Susie and I talked. We tried to figure out their age. 
And then it dawned on us, based upon a conversation I'd had her, had, I had had earlier yesterday, that's right, it's prom night. Oh, my word, baby, you know how old those girls are? I mean, literally, we were like, I cannot believe that. So they came in, and I guess they got seated and all that other stuff. And, and so, again, Susie and I were in the corner, and I'm going somewhere with this, all right? I'm going somewhere with this, so just give me just a little bit of time. So we're sitting there in the corner by the window looking out. They've come in. They've gone to wherever they've gone. And I guess one of them needed to go to the restroom, went to the restroom, and for whatever reason, she did not take the same route back to her seat. She came right down our aisle right by us, a direct shot at her. And I'm just thinking, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. This is an eighth grade girl looking like this? I mean, I just, jaw dropped, eyes bugged out. I'm sure I was quite impressive in my response. We saw another one walk by and I thought, well, okay. Now, here's what I told Susie. I said, you know what I've got to remind myself? She could be a Rahab. She actually could be someone that God does an amazing work in their lives. But it, see, it's, it's hard for me to see. Because right now she looks more like the Rahab of the old profession, of the old lifestyle. Now, I, I want us to see something. You know why I need this message and why some of you need this message, though you may not want to admit it tonight? I need to see this and I need to be reminded of this truth, that it doesn't matter what their past looks like. It doesn't matter what their sins are. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they may get wrapped up into. If they decide to give their heart and lives to Jesus Christ, and if they decide to begin following God, God can take whoever it is with whatever past they have, whatever sins they've committed, and that person, if they'll allow God to do the work, can become a reputable individual that God uses in amazing ways and that becomes a person of great faith with a wonderful testimony. I need that reminder, and you need that reminder if you're anything like me, because, again, we get very stereotypical at times. Oh, they've got potential. Oh, they don't. This person can. This person can't. And, and, and the truth be told, I have no idea. And neither do you. But see, there's also this need for me to be reminded of this truth and to give some attention to Rahab and where she started out and where she finished for this reason. Sometimes... Because of insecurities, you know what I do? I sell myself short. Do you ever look at your spiritual life and think, well, I can't? Maybe for someone else, but not for me. God might use them, but God would never use me in that way. Have you ever been guilty? Of just saying it's for someone else, but but that's just that that's not who I am, and that's not what I'll ever get to be. 
I don't know if you've ever sold yourself short. I don't know if insecurities have ever kicked in and you've ever come to this conclusion, you know, in my spiritual life there are just certain limitations that I'll not be able to get past. There are just certain things that I'll not be able to accomplish in life. You know what Rahab reminds me of, if nothing else? That if she did it, by the grace of God, I can do it by the grace of God. That if Rahab, of all people, could be listed in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, right there with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, whoever you want to talk about, if she could be the one that James used as an example of being justified by her works and declared righteous because of what she did, listen, if, if, if Rahab could be that kind of a person, then why would I think I can't be that kind of a person? And this may not be for you tonight. I understand that it may not be for you, but it may be for someone in this room this evening who may be looking at their own personal lives saying, I can't do that. I, I don't have the potential. I've already messed up so much. I've already made so many mistakes that there are just certain things that God won't use me to do. Do you think Rahab ever thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in God and one day I'll be in the lineage of Christ and I'll be a perfect or wonderful example of faith for generations to come? I don't think she ever thought that, but that's exactly what God happened. I just want to remind whoever may need it tonight, and again, I don't know who it may be, but I just want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've committed. It doesn't matter what your offense is, what your transgressions are, how humiliated and embarrassed you may be by them. If you will let God work, there is no limitation to what he can do in your life. But we have to let God do the work. So here's Rahab, not the one that we would have picked out in the yearbook of most likely to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We, we wouldn't have looked at her professional status and said, yep, I, I think she's going to end up in the lineage of Christ. But that's where she ended up. Because God did the work in her life. And if God did it in her she can do it in anyone that we've met, and she can do it in us. We just have to believe that it's possible. All right? Let's all stand very quick for a word of prayer. And you may need to spend some time in prayer. Father, I pray that you'd bless the invitation. God, that if there's anyone who maybe has sold someone else short, I pray that you'd remind us that we don't know what their potential is. God, we really are not in the position to declare that this person has potential and this person doesn't, that this one can and this one can't, uh, we really don't know what you can do in a person's life. And God, if there's someone in here this evening who would just have to admit that they've struggled in believing that you could do it for them, I pray that tonight you would remind them that if you could do it for Rahab, you can do it in their life. God, you can use any one of us if we will yield ourselves to you and submit ourselves to your power and your working in our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.